Oh, man. Thank you, Sister Felicia. And uh, thank you, choir. I enjoy that uh, special. Praise the Lord, our God is great. has great names. Elohim, he's the God of creation. There's no other name or no other person that is above him. Uh, El Shaddai, he's the all-powerful, invincible, omnipotent God. There's no power greater than our God. Uh, El Elyon, he's the most high God. He's lifted up high and above all of heaven and all of earth. And he has authority over all of creation, all of the universe, our God. Jehovah Rapha, he is the God of ultimate healing. And I'm thankful that not only does our God heal physically, but our God heals emotionally, our God heals relationally. Jehovah Nisi, he is our banner. God is our banner, depicting his triumphant presence and his eternal promise of deliverance. Oh, Lord, I, he's the all-seeing God, the Lord who is my shepherd, I shall not walk. Our God, he has great names, amen, but the name that I love the most is one that is dear to all of our hearts, Yahshua, the God who saves Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, amen. Don't you love the Lord? Isn't it great to know him and to know his name? And to be known by Him. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. He knows all about you. Your past, your present, and your future. And knowing all of that, He still loves us. Isn't that amazing? He still loves us. What an awesome, wonderful God we serve. Turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. I tell you, I, I have just been so sad by walking through this Gospel uh, you know, you think you know the Lord until you spend some intense time, verse by verse, just letting the Word of God reveal things about Him that maybe you just overlooked before. Maybe we were not significant before, that all of a sudden the lights go on. Listen, the more that we read and study and God speaks to us through His Word, and we understand who Jesus really is. He's not a, just a historical figure, not just a famous rabbi. Listen, he is the Son of God. He is the ruler of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's here on earth as we walk with these disciples through the Gospel of Matthew. He is here manifesting the very presence of Almighty God in the presence of humanity. Begin reading with me in chapter 16 and verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing them, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be fair foul weather, today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrite, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed the side. And when the disciples had come to the other side, that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee, had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken the world. But Jesus perceived it. He said to them, Oh, ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Do you not understand? 
And I remember the five ways of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven ways of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? That you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood. But he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And seeing this morning's message, Jesus Christ is the true light of the world. And he is the only hope. Emphasize that. Re-emphasize that. He is the only hope for those who are walking and living in spiritual blindness. That is us. Every person assembled in this room, that is us. The question that you may want to contemplate as we go through the message this morning, first, how is my spiritual vision? Some of you probably known to the ophthalmologist or optometrist recently. Quite a few of you are like me and you've got four eyes. Some of you are hiding behind contacts so we know who you are. <laughs> and we all need a little help as we go along, right? The vision gets a little blurred and the doctor has to tell us just how bad it is. And then make corrections with lenses and things like that. Well, how is your spiritual vision? Are you seeing clearly? Do you have 20, 20 spiritual vision? Are you seeing through the eyes of God, through the lens of His Word? Then, do I see myself, my life, and this world as God sees it? Ladies and gentlemen, that is critically important. It's not that we should see the, eye, see the world through the eyes of sports figures and Wall Street executives or through popular movie stars or, uh, or any other human beings. It's very important that you and I, as God's people, See through God's eyes. We need to see the world as God sees the world. We need to see people as God sees people. We need to be able to see ourselves as God sees us. That's what good spiritual vision is really all about. As we get ready to walk through these 12 verses in Matthew, you know, spiritual warfare, and there's spiritual warfare going on on all fronts, dear folks. I tell you that right now. You see, a spiritual warfare tends to generate some very interesting alliances. For instance, from this upcoming decision concerning the marriage amendment in the state of North Carolina that will be voted on May the 8th in the primaries, you know, it's interesting to see that Baptists are coming alongside of Catholics and other conservative Christian groups and organizations and together we are working together to promote the passage of this very critical, historical, monumental amendment that will preserve the biblical definition of marriage. Now, just as Baptists and Catholics are working together, it's interesting to see that on the other side of the, of the issue, you have also another coalition. You'll find liberal churches and liberal Christians and and gay rights activists all marching together to somehow defeat this amendment. It's interesting how 
spiritual warfare tends to generate these very unlikely alliances. And the reason I say that is because of the group that confronts Jesus here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, in verse 1. It's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, both religious leaders, leadership groups in Judaism at that time. But first, let me tell you something. You'll see them put together in the Bible. But in normal first century Palestinian Jewish life, you wouldn't find Pharisees and Sadducees hanging out together. In fact, they despised each other. They criticized each other. They had the Pharisees on one side. They were very conservative. They were steeped in tradition. They knew the law. They went by the letter of the law, even to the excess of being legalists. On the other hand, you have the Sadducees. They were liberal. They were aristocrats. They liked that thinking. They liked rubbing elbows with a popular government official. They liked to be in a prominent position and, think, and live a life of comfort. And they didn't get caught up in things like, oh, you've got to go by every word of the Bible. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in life after death, resurrection, or any of that kind of thing. So you see, these two groups were not at all comrades. Now this is what interesting. When this man, this radical rabbi, this man from Nazareth, this Jesus, shows up on the scene and he begins to preach with such authority that it begins to draw multitudes of people, astonishing people with his his this uh, great charisma and divine authority. And he begins to preach pretty plainly and bluntly, challenging their religious traditions. He's beginning to make life a little bit uncomfortable for them. He's challenging their false and sinful religious traditions, and, they, and he's starting to threaten their popularity among the people. And they reason to themselves, this man has got to go. So isn't it interesting that when Jesus shows up on the scene and he promotes the kingdom of God, the will of God, and the word of God, suddenly religious leaders feel threatened. And now they come and they confront Jesus and they're testing him here. So let me tell you something. In Jesus' day, there were many religious leaders who were spiritually blind. And in the day in which you and I live today, and I'm not calling names or pointing out any particular denominations or churches, but folks, I tell you today with great sense of conviction in my heart, there are many religious leaders out there who are spiritually blind. And so I want us to look at what Jesus has to say, or what the Word of God says about how Jesus deals with spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness in these first four, verse, four verses there. But before we plunge into that, let me just set a little background for you. Because John's Gospel, in a parallel way, lets you know right from the get-go that the problem is spiritual blindness when Jesus came into the world. In John's Gospel, in chapter 1, listen as he shares, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him, in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light 
shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. And it did not squash it. It did not eliminate the light of Jesus as he shone into the world. But then look further as John goes down in verse 11. He, speaking of Jesus, came to his own. And his own did not receive him. Speaking of the religious leaders, speaking of the multitudes in general. You see, Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12, He said, I am the light of the world. Jesus knew that there were many in the world at that time who were living in spiritual darkness. But I want you to see the difference in the way that Jesus relates to those who are spiritually blind. It's here in the Scriptures. First of all, I want you to see his compassion for those who could not see. As I pointed out earlier, that was every one of us. Whether you know it or not, and there was a time in your life before you chose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were living spiritually blind. As the old country expression was, you were blind as a bat. Everybody is born into this world in spiritual blindness. But as we look at what the Bible has to say about that, all the way back in the Old Testament, this is not just a New Testament concept. Let me show you that from God's Word. For instance, back in Psalm 82. Psalm 82, and let's look at verse 5. The psalmist says in Psalm 82, verse 5, They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Speaking of the lostness of humanity. But then also if you go over to the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 4. In verse 19. Proverbs 4.19. The writer of Proverbs says there, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And then even if you go back over to the New Testament into the epistles of, say, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, people who walk in spiritual darkness in spiritual blindness. They can't see the light. They can't know the truth. They can't be cured of spiritual blindness on their own. It's not a formula that man can solve. It's not rituals that man can do. It's not a matter of knowledge. Listen, the only way that light shone into your soul was that God, through His grace and His mercy, chose to shine the truth for the light of the gospel into your life and into mine. And that's the only way that we gain spiritual vision. You know, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul touches on this and helps us to understand how this is transpired in this world. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, look with me there, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Come back up to verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Whose minds, the God, little Jews, of this age, are blinded, who do not believe. That's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 
You can walk boasting your salvation. Don't brag that you have come to be saved and you are a Christian. Don't just set it for the fact that you are a child of God and that you have, you, you have spiritual vision. The only reason that you're able to see the truth, the only reason that the light has shown into your heart is that God chose to shine the light of the truth into your life. Into your life. God is the only one who cures people of spiritual blindness. But let me tell you something. Based upon what we see in the Word of God, there are people around Jesus at that time who were living in spiritual darkness and Jesus had deep compassion upon them. He had compassion upon them because in, in chapter 15 of Matthew, you may recall where we shared this in verse 14, talk, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the spiritual leaders, the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. He said to his disciples in verse 14 of chapter 15, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Jesus looked upon the multitudes of people and spiritually he saw them as walking in blindness. Listen, it's bad enough to be blind, but it's a horrible thing when you are following someone that you trust to guide you and they are just as blind as you are. And Jesus looked upon the multitudes of the people and he saw them living in spiritual blindness and he had compassion upon them. That's why he came into the world. That's why he took great pain and great care and, and meticulously taught the Word of God, preached the Word of God, so that he might dispel the spiritual blindness from those that would choose to believe. So this is Jesus had compassion upon people who are living in spiritual blindness, the church today, you and me, the body of Christ, we need to have compassion upon those who are spiritually blind. Just because we know we're going to heaven, just because we know that our salvation is real, just because we are secure in our walk with God, doesn't mean that we can sit back smugly in our church houses or at home in our routines and ignore those who are living in spiritual blindness. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason that the world out there acts so sinful and immoral and violent, they're just living out their nature. And they're just being who they are. He's never seen the light. And so Jesus had compassion upon those who were spiritually blind, but also should we have compassion. Now Jesus, on the other hand, had condemnation of those who would not see. And we have a distinction. He has compassion for those who could not see, but all the lost people. And for those who deliberately choose not to see, who would not see, and that's what we're looking at here, Jesus has words of strong condemnation. Look what he says to the, the, I mean, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, Now, mind you, they have had privilege to see, to witness, to hear witnesses of thousands of miracles. Healing, demon exorcisms, Feeding of thousands, five thousand plus, actually it was probably about fifteen to twenty thousand in one setting, and then feeding maybe twelve thousand or more in another setting. All these miracles, they've had the benefit of hearing Jesus preach the kingdom of God like no man has ever preached. 
And what they come to him and they say, well, Jesus, if you want to please us, show us a heavenly sign. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had this idea that anybody, even the demons, could work signs of the earth. Show us something from here up there. You really want to see Jesus knew their heart. He wasn't about to show them a sign. He was going to play their game. All the signs that should have substantiated who he was had been shown up to that point. And Jesus tells them right here, he says, look, there's not going to be another sign. Look in verse 4. So it's back up here. Look, I want you to see this because he says, he says, when it is easy, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky's red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky's red and threatening. Some of you use that old, good old, you know, red sky at night, you know, sailor's delight. Back home on the farm, we say farmer's delight. And red sky in the morning, you know, sailor's be one, or farmer's be one. And, and Jesus, this is age old saying, because it's pretty much accurate in those weather settings. And Jesus is, is, is challenging them here. He's actually being a little sarcastic. He's condemning them. He said, look at you. you. You can look at the sky, you can read the sky, and you can tell what the weather's going to be. And isn't it amazing, with all the things that God is doing, proving right now, you can't even see. You're the religious leaders. You're supposed to be leading God's people. John picks up on this, interestingly enough, in a conversation with the Pharisees. You know it well, over in John's Gospel in chapter 3. Let me take you over there. Because Jesus has some pretty strong words to say to Nicodemus, hoping maybe Nicodemus would take this back to the rest of the Pharisees. Nicodemus came to Jesus that night and was asking him about how he could inherit the kingdom of God. And, and it's interesting in that chapter 3 of John's Gospel, listen to the words of Jesus toward the end of his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. For he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may be having in God. Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees, directly to the Sadducees, directly to the scribes. He's saying, listen, the reason you don't come to the light is because you love your deeds of deception. You love your false teachings and your superstitions and your traditions, you love the power that gets you and the popularity, and, and therefore, you choose not to come to the light. And he says, you're condemned because of your refusal to accept the light of the truth of God's Word. And there are many people today, ladies and gentlemen, who are blind spiritually, and they know it, and they don't care. There are lives of darkness and sin and immorality and detriment and rebellion. And then there's one of these, and I don't frequent bars, but you know, you, you know the tradition in most of the bars 
the lights are down low. Most of these settings where people are going to be practicing sin and immorality, the lights are down low. Because you see, people who are living in spiritual darkness, they like the atmosphere of darkness. Under the shroud of the darkness of deception, Las Vegas thrives. Under the darkness of green, Wall Street thrives. Even under the deception of political corruption that clouds that of darkness hovers over our capital, Washington, D.C. Because you see, people who are walking in spiritual blindness, they like the darkness. It's like putting over a log out in the wilderness and you, you flip that log over and light begins to shine right down there where all those little critters are. You know, the little peas, little peas, and all the beetles. What do they do? They don't say, oh, thank you, thank you, hallelujah, there's light. No, they start scampering. I've got to find some darkness. I've got to find some darkness. I can't stand this light. I use that as a crude illustration. That's the mindset of the very sinful person who is rebelling against God, who is rejecting the light of the truth. I'm telling you that because there are going to be people that you will go in a good mindset, you will go with good intentions, you will go out of a spirit of love to tell them the truth of the gospel. And dear friends, they may, they may slam the door in your face. They may cut you out. They may stick their pit bull on you. Listen, they don't want the life. They don't want to hear it. They hate Jesus and hate the things of God and they hate you. And remember, Jesus says, the world hated me first. And by the world, he's talking about that rebellious town. Walking and living in spiritual darkness who love the darkness and reject anything resembling the light. Jesus didn't mince words when it came to the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. So he knew what they were doing. He knew their game plan. They were spiritually blind, and they were content to lead the people of God along in that same pathway of blindness towards ultimate destruction. And Jesus was God in flesh. His heart was the heart of God. And nothing breaks the heart of God more than to see man, the crown of his creation, walking towards the, the, the abyss of darkness towards hell. And yet, Jesus, over Matthew chapter 23, listen to the times that he called them hypocrites, blind guys. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind God. And then in verse 17 of Matthew 23, fools and blind, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Again, in verse 24, blind God, how dare you? To just to know the truth. How dare you claim to have the authority to lead the people of God when you're as blind as they are? Jesus tells them, if we go back to chapter 16 here in Matthew, in verse 4, he says, A wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except, now it's interesting, because there's only going to be one more sign. There's only going to be one more sign for this generation, and no one won't be feeding the multitudes, no one won't be something coming from heaven. He said it will be the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Jesus has already alluded to this earlier in Matthew. Because Jonah, the prophet, had three days in the belly of a sea monster, a fish, a whale, 
whatever you want to call it. And yes, I believe it. And I believe it happens just like the Bible says. Don't ask me how, because God does things that go beyond our understanding. But if God wants to do it, God can do it. And God's Word says it happens, it happens. Jesus said, just like Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the bowels of the earth. Speaking of his own death. Speaking of his own resurrection. And his victory over sin. His victory over the grave. His victory over death. He says, that will be the sign. That will be the only sign. Now, very inconspicuously, at the end of verse 4, it says, and he left, and he departed. So there's a lot packed in to that one phrase. When it says that Jesus left, it was as much as Jesus shaken the dust off of his sandals. This is his last, his, his last appeal to the religious leaders, if you will. He was as much as saying, fellas, I've had it with you. When he turned and he walked away from them, they lost their last chance, if you will. Jesus was done with them. And, and, and for all practical purposes, Jesus is only months away now from the cross. His agenda is changing. His, his ministry is transitioning. His ministry is not going to be teaching to the multitudes now. He's going to be taking the teaching and directing it to those few who are following him by faith. And that's why the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, you and I should be, our ears should be up, our antennas are up, because things are going to be Things that we need to know in preparation for his second coming. Uh, I need to move along. Because we see here Jesus addressing the spiritual time, but, but let's talk and talk about his response to those who are spiritually impaired. And see some, but not quite clearly. And, and that's, that's believers. If you're given any spiritual vision, it's given to you by God. But as I was using my illustration earlier, not all of us have 2020 spiritual vision. And now I'm talking about his disciples. And we pick up in verse 5. And Jesus, is, and Jesus and his disciples can now cross from the Galilean side, the west side of the Sea of Galilee. They made the short trip across the Sea of Galilee over to the eastern side, back over to the Gentile side. And when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Have you ever gone on a picnic and packed all the bugs spray and the blankets and, and, and the fun games and the drinks and, and then you get ready to sit down and you say, Oh my goodness, we forgot the food. That's a freaking feeling, isn't it? When I was a junior in, in, in um, uh, probably about 6th, 7th grade, I guess, um, no younger than that. I'm probably about 8 or 9 years old. And our Sunday school class, the junior boys were going to go on a picnic. And we're going to go off the reservation, down to the side of a creek down there where they have a swimming hole. And so we all packed up in the back of a pickup truck and we were going down there and race weenies. And then we got down there and we were all excited. We were going to swim and we were going to, we were going to race weenies and everything. Got the car built and the Sunday school teacher looked and said, Oh my goodness, I didn't have any hot dogs. Man, that's so bad for all the fucking junior boys. And the whole addition of that, I don't have time to go into it. But Jesus' disciples said, Oh no, we, we forgot to bring the bread. He didn't have the bologna and cheese, just the bread. The bread was a staple, so therefore it was a big deal to them. But so listen now, there's, there's evidence here that they see, but they're not seeing clearly. I want you to see Jesus' response to this. It's spiritually impaired, okay? Then Jesus said to them in verse 6, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, Jesus is still stewing. And he's still upset with these Pharisees and Sadducees he left behind. 
And he's telling his disciples now. He says, fellas, listen, you watch out. Heaven is just a piece of meat that can be put in the back of dough and it spreads throughout the whole dough, the whole back of dough, and it causes the dough to rise and make beautiful pieces biscuits. But in this case, he's talking about the influence, the sinful and godly and rebellious attitudes of the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees. He says, watch out for this leaven, if you will. Now, in verse 7, the disciples heard him say, not the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and Sadducees, have they reasoned among themselves, it is because we have, not, we have taken no bread. Jesus is upset. Because we've got the bread. And Jesus thinking what they're talking about. Whoa, whoa, time out, guys. Hold on, hold on. He says, Tell ye of little faith. You, you can't see clear. You still got 60 or 80 visions. He said, let, let me help you out here. You see, Jesus patiently walked with those who struggle with spiritual vision. His disciples demonstrated a lack of spiritual clarity. They struggle with their spiritual understanding of what Jesus is saying here. And he had a spiritual maturity is being able to see things that God describes them in his word. Someone, uh, one of the commentaries I was reading offers this definition of spiritual maturity. It means learning to live day by day by the light of God's word and his faithful provision. Trusting in the Lord. Remember that old gospel song? Trust in the Lord. And yet, trust in the Lord, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust in the Lord. You see, Jesus was showing his disciples here that they were still dependent on themselves. They were thinking, oh no, we forgot the bread. And Jesus is warning us now not to go out there and buy bread that has been cooked by Pharisees and Sadducees because they use false leaven. Jesus says, no, 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 fellas. Let me help you to see. So he spiritually begins to open their eyes, beginning here in verse 8. Oh, you little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not understand or remember? How, let me stop here. How quick are you to forget? Because you go up. <laughs> you know, I was telling Brother Bob, we just kidding about memory before church, and I, and I said, you know, I told someone I believe in the hereafter, because oftentimes going to the basement and saying, now, what am I hereafter? And now, you know that's happened to some of you, too. But, but, you know, do you forget the things that God has done in your life? Have you forgotten the blessings that God has brought into your life? Have you forgotten the last time that God worked in a powerful way in your life? When's the last time that you stopped to remember all the blessings that God has done? Listen, we so quickly forget. We'll come and have a wonderful time at church. God will lift our spirits. We enjoy the fellowship. We feel so connected with the Lord. Get home and, and, and maybe open up a deal and it's more than we expected. And we start, oh, no, what am I going to do? So, so the sky's falling, the sky's falling. And God is saying, don't you remember how built up and bold you were in church just yesterday? Jesus says to his disciples, don't you remember? It's just been a little while. You what? As I said, 5,000 men, up to 15,000 people with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Yes, as I took seven measly loaves of bread and multiplied it. And, and you know, the interesting thing is, I touched on this last week, talking about the feeding of the 4,000. The difference between the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. After the season of 5,000, they took caskets and they collected them, picked up the leftovers, and they had four caskets. That's a lot. 
the baskets in the Greek language that they're picking up, they're collecting in, in the plastic of 5,000, those were baskets that were like our picnic baskets. They go to there, we take picnic baskets, you know? I know I date myself going back to yoga there. But anyway, there's a thing about two people in a picnic. Baskets used after the feeding of the 4,000 in their original language. Now, since many of y'all didn't raise tobacco, we used to pack our tobacco for market in tobacco baskets. Big old things. You can lay down in one of the... In fact, this is the same basket in Acts chapter 9, verse 25. You remember when Paul was being uh, uh, ostracized in, in Damascus and the disciples lured him over the wall? They lured him in one of those baskets. After Jesus fed the 4,000 plus, he collected seven of those humongous baskets. And Jesus says, gentlemen, don't you remember? You know how to depend upon yourself. Being successful in following me is not dependent upon you. It's being dependent, it's being dependent upon me. That's what I want. And you see, Jesus begins to open up the eyes of his disciples. So what's the deal with the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Jesus is warning his disciples of the influence of false religion. The penetrating and paralyzing teachings of these traditions of Judaism, like a leaven, was spreading throughout the people of God and ruining the people of God in their relationship, ruining their relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is saying. Watch out, gentlemen. Watch out, disciples, because you too could fall prey to that. Back in the 60s and the 70s, our Southern Baptist Convention found itself being infected by the leaven of false teaching. Liberal professors in our seminaries and liberal pastors in the pulpits were turning the minds to the hearts of the people of God away from the infallible and inerrant Word of God. They were teaching pseudo-intellectualism and all these new philosophies that were supposedly modern and more timely. And before you knew it, people, preachers weren't preaching the Word of God and the true gospel of God. Our denomination was sick and anemic. And I thank God that at a pivotal time in the life of our Southern Baptist condition, God Almighty raised up great men of the Word, men like Dr. Adrian Rogers, men like Dr. Saul Stanley, Dr. Uh, Jerry Vines, men like uh, Criswell, men like that, who settled the Word of God unapologetically, and they turned this condition with a mighty ship headed in the wrong direction towards destruction. They turned the ship back towards God. And I can stand before you today and say with great pride and confidence that God has put our condition back on track. Every one of our six Southern Baptist seminaries are under the direction of godly, Bible-believing presidents. All the faculty of men who stand on the inerrancy of the Word of God. Our missions organizations are sending missionaries by the thousands to other parts of the world who stand on the truth of the Word of God. We must never drop our guard. There are false teachers, false preachers, and false promoters of false philosophies out there that we have to be careful of. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples then. Very quickly, let's move on. Jesus has dealt with the spiritually impaired. But let's talk about the benefits that you and I have. Christians have the benefit of divine illumination. 
We do. It's a privilege. It's a benefit that we have as, as being children of God and followers of Christ. Listen, we have the light of God's infallible, inerrant, holy word shining like a beacon. We will never suffer from spiritual impairment and blindness as long as you hold to the Word of God, turn to the Word of God. The psalmist said over in Psalm 119, verses 105 and 106, he says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. I have sworn and confirmed that although I hold your righteous judgment. All through Psalm 119, he says, I love your word. I love your word. Your word is suddenly a light that is shining in the darkness of this immoral and sinful world. Listen, did you love the word of God? I don't mean bow down and, 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 and worship the book of death. Do you love the word of God? Does your heart hunger for this? Anytime there's confusion in your life, listen, all you have to do is open up the word of God. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 23. This is the, the writing, as he talks about the word. He says, oh, the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. Listen, that's what God's word is. It illuminates the path, and our responsibility is to know and to follow the will of God. And the only way we can do that, ladies and gentlemen, is by using the light of the word of God. But it doesn't stop there. That's one of the great benefits that we have as God's children. We have the light. We have the light. The Word of God, but we also have the benefit of His Holy Spirit. The passage that we read which, uh, in unison at the beginning of the worship service, out of John chapter 14, talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. Let me just take you back there very quickly, because I want you to just kind of focus upon this. In chapter 14, in verse 26, Jesus talking to His disciples about the Holy Spirit. He says, "Help helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. Peace I leave with you, not peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. The only reason that we can have peace is because we have the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Do you realize that with the moment that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit took up a baby in you? He, he, he came to live in you? And He's not just sitting there looking pretty. The Spirit of God has a mission. And the mission of the Spirit of God, Jesus said, is to teach you, to guide you, to convict you when you get out of the path of God's will. To shine the light of God's Word in your life, to change the things in your life that are not pleasing to God. And we have this great benefit. In John's Gospel, in chapter 16, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit there, in verse 12, He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of the truth, the truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, but he will take up what is mine and declare it to you. Are you being guided by the word of God? Are you being guided by the spirit of God? You stand the chance of walking in through this life spiritually impaired. Messages are coming off of your television screen. Messages are coming via your computer. Messages are coming via the magazines and messages. There are all kinds of messages plummeting your mind, seeking to divert your thoughts and lead you in a way that might not be God's way. And the only way that you can know that you're seeing clearly is, number one, stay in the Word of God. 
Number two, stay open to the Spirit of God. Hearing God's Word and you are open to God's Spirit speaking to you through His Word, I can just about confidently at 100% assure you, you won't have to worry about your spiritual vision being impaired. You know where God's people get in trouble? It's when they take their eyes off of the Word. You know where God's people get in trouble? It's when they stop hearing the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, the vision's clouded. And it's like you're driving down the road, there's a bus with glasses, and all of a sudden your glasses get foggy or whatever, and you're trying to guess where you're going. Listen, you don't have to guess how you live as a child of God. God's Word will show you and show me clearly. This morning I ask you, how is your spiritual vision? Are you seeing with clarity? If you're here today and you don't see through the light of the truth of God's Word, you may be living in spiritual blindness. Maybe you've not come to that point where God has, has spoken clearly to your heart and convicted you of your sinfulness and made you aware that you're living your life in, in darkness. You, you, you're stumbling along. You don't really know the way to God to do the things of God. And God may be speaking to your heart in love. He may be challenging you this morning to, to give your life to Jesus Christ, to put your faith and trust in the Lord, to choose to live by the Word of God and not by the standards of this world. Christians, how sharp is your vision? Is it time that you come to talk to Jesus, the ultimate ophthalmologist, and say, Lord, make sure that I'm seeing my life in my world as you see it. Make sure I'm seeing things as I need to clearly. This is serious business. The only way that this church can, can move forward and be true to the mission and to the calling that God has placed upon us is that we have Christian members who have good, clear, spiritual vision. I invite you on any given day to pray for your pastor. I'm just as immune as you are to being distracted to my vision being impaired in some way. You pray for me that I will stay in the Word of God and open to the Spirit of God so that I can see clearly as your shepherd to lead you as a pastor. Thank all, all the other leaders of the church that they too will have good, sharp spiritual vision. And it's pray for one another. That's what makes the church true. That's what makes the church strong. Is we're seeing things as God sees them. We're not trying to launch off on our own agendas, but we're seeking to do the will of God as it is clearly described to us in His Word about His Spirit. Will you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came into this world through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you came to manifest your grace and your love and your forgiveness, but also, Lord, your truth. You told us, Lord, there in John chapter 14, verse 6, that you are the way, the, the truth, and the life. And, Lord Jesus, we believe that. Help us to know the truth better. Help us to know your word better. Help us, Lord, not to to be impaired in our spiritual vision so that, Lord, we would commit some of the mistakes of people who have turned their backs on you. God, I thank you so much that you have lovingly given to us the light of your word. That you have sent your Holy Spirit to be with us, to live in us, and to show us the way. I pray that every person here today, Lord, will be walking in the light of your word and in doing so, living the abundant life to which you called us. Give us time now, Lord, that in any manner that would suit you, to help the people make decisions 
who correct the paths of their lives that will be pleasing to you, that will give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.